Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 135 of the Sports Podcast. Tim and Anthony with you. And not just talking uh, YSU football, which we may get into a little bit. And I want to remind everybody to check out the Ice Castle Report each and every week. Right here on Radio MVP, and part of your downloads right on this feed. So as simple as that, I'm sure you have. Congratulations, first and foremost, to Doug Phillips for his first victory as a head coach of the Youngstown State Penguins and also his first victory overall as a head coach at the uh, collegiate level. So congratulations to him and to the Penguins. And let's hope for now the first winning streak of 2021. And, of course, the Indians are in Arizona wrapping up here in the next week. We have baseball one week away from today. And uh, the NCAA is going on. The NBA is going on. Uh, wow. Uh, college football is kind of going on, and it is going mm-hmm. on. So, yeah, take your pick. It's it's a hodgepodge of everything going on. Plus, uh, uh, we got a uh, the EPL, the restarting next week after taking an international break. And uh, the AFL men's competition has begun this past week. And uh, I can report quickly that my pies lost their opener but won last night for us or early this morning and they're now one and one and the lady paying or the lady magpies uh the women's uh are let's see six and one or no seven and one going into the final round of competition before the finals which are the playoffs in the afl begins the following week which means I have to reach out to Gemma and try to get her on as soon as possible to preview that. And uh, hopefully we'll have more AFL information coming your way here uh, in a little bit. So that's just kind of a preview of what's going on. And uh, let's uh, bring in Anthony and say, hello, what's going on, my friend? No, not too much. Nice to be back this week. And uh, like you said, it's nice to finally get a win, even in the spring season. Uh, it still means a lot. It's still fun to win. Uh, it's still fun to see Stambaugh electric. That was a pretty electric atmosphere last week for as many people as we can have in there. Um, and it's odd not to go home or not turn on the radio and have other college football on. But I get, I tell you what, it's kind of cool to get out of the stadium, get home and have uh, tournament games going on. So that was, that was kind of cool at the same time. And hopefully Doug Phillips can uh, build on his first career win as a head coach and at his first milestone big win as a top 10 team coming in again and a chance for him and the program to uh, gain a lot of momentum going forward. They have a chance here, Tim, to play a giant killer and to ruin some of playoff hopes as uh, only 16 teams get in. So North Dakota probably is going to get in the playoffs. You think with a win or loss, uh, Missouri State in a couple of weeks. A lot of people don't assume Missouri State to be a playoff team. The Bears are three and one, coming off a dominating performance in the Uni Dome, and uh, they're going to be playing for a lot. So why issue is the chance here in the next couple of weeks to ruin some playoff hopes, but more importantly to gain some momentum? And uh, I don't know about you, but I made the comment to I forget, I forget who it was. Who saw me at work? And I said this has the chance to be the best NCAA tournament we've seen in the last decade or so. 
Um, and not because we have a great team like we've had in years past. That's no disrespect to Gonzaga, who's undefeated. They're, they're, they're phenomenal. But there are a lot, a lot of really, really good coaches and players at the mid-major level um, that are finally getting the respect. Yeah, and every – oh, God – I used to say every four to five years, but it's been a little bit longer now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Syracuse makes a run. Yep. And Syracuse made a run in the first uh, weekend of the tournament, winning both games, getting to the Sweet 16. And Jim Beheim always puts his teams in this situation. And against that zone, very difficult to handle. If there's a team for me to watch the rest of the way, it is the orange from Syracuse. I truly believe that if there's a team that's going to upset somebody in the finals, it will be Syracuse. Uh, if, for example, if Gonzaga and Syracuse can meet up, and I believe they are in opposite sides of the bracket mm -hmm. and could yep. meet in the finals, uh, I would not be surprised if the Orangemen come away with a victory. I just will not be surprised at all. This is a... This is Bill. This is Jim um, Bohein in, in in his glory and in his prime. This is what he does when you least expect. Especially the lower seed. Yeah, when yeah. you least expect them, that's when they make a run. And we'll see if it happens. I mean, we're talking what ten years ago, maybe longer since the last time they won the the, the title. Uh, Two thousand three. No, oh, right, yeah, take that back. Two thousand three. Sixteen years ago. Two thousand three. Yeah, yeah, with. Uh, yeah, with Carmelo, Carmelo and yeah. Hakeem Ward. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Carmelo's been in the NBA 17 yeah. years along with uh, with uh, James. Yeah. yeah, so, oh, wow. You we know, really this put is, it together. This is a not your typical Syracuse team. You, you know, they still play the zone, but that zone has been honestly not very good this year. For the majority of the season, it has um, – They've allowed a very high percentage from the field, a very high percentage from three. I mean, it's not just until the last couple of weeks where they've started to morph into a pressure zone where they try to trap you more, be a little more aggressive. And that offense right now, Syracuse is scoring at a high level with a uh, Beheim son, buddy, like Dolajai, um, Gary air, uh, they're scoring at a high clip too. Um, and they made pretty easy work of West Virginia, except for a little run there in the second half to tie the game. But Syracuse was in control throughout that game when they were in control throughout uh, the last 30 minutes of the uh, first run game against San Diego State. Um, and this is what Beheim does, you're right, Tim. Every, every couple years when he's a lower seed, you can almost pencil them in for a Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four run. Remember a couple years ago, I believe 2016, 2017, the Orange were a seven or eight seed yeah. and went to the Final Four. Um, what they do. And this, you know, when they're what... a higher seed, they tend to get upset in the first weekend. And it's like, oh, wait. But it's, it, 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 you're right. This is what Jim Beheim does. Um, like him or dislike him, uh, every year when they're a lower seed, it's almost like Michigan State, honestly. Mm -hmm. Every time they're a lower seed, except for this year, you better pencil them in and win a couple games because it really doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to get there.
you know, a great coach always gets his team going. When you put them in a tournament format and you have a little difference in philosophy and style that Bayham has and has been very successful with over his career. As you mentioned, he seems to get his teams to peak at this time of the year for the and uh, raise their defense and, and raise their offense at the same time. And, you know, they make runs. Now, I put the ultimate jinx on them, watch them lose, you know, to Houston <laughs> in the Sweet 16. That's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah, I, it really be will be. It really will be. And uh, like I said, if they're, of the 16 teams left, that's my team to, to watch the most. Now, there's other stories of the Sweet 16 that I think are phenomenal. I mean, obviously, you could talk about Lola's Chicago. Obviously, you can talk about Villanova and, you know, making another run. Uh, Gonzaga being undefeated. There's so many good stories of this Sweet 16 that I think uh, this weekend is going to be a lot of fun to watch, a lot of good quality basketball. You know, I didn't have a chance last week because of Mm -hmm. the high school stuff going on to really watch it. Uh, I caught some scores, and we were, you know, paying attention to different things, but I didn't really have a chance to to see that that opening round the way I would love to normally cool. do. But let's just, you know, look at the Sweet 16 and what they're going on. Again, uh, there's a reason Gonzaga is number one overall. There's a reason they haven't lost a game this year. Uh, I think they have a good route to the Final Four. They have a great route possibly to win the whole thing. But that's what a number one seed should get. Yeah, you're right. And you're I don't right. have a problem with that. Uh, they They – they put them in a bracket that makes sense to me. And I don't have a problem with that at all. And, you know, Michigan, I think a Michigan Gonzaga, you know, uh, eight, eight will be a, a great matchup. Well, that wouldn't be happening until the final four, because Michigan's well, a one right. seed also. Final four. You're right. You're but right. But I tell you what, um, I watched most of the uh, Michigan game against LSU and Michigan in the regular season finale against Michigan State lost Isaiah Livers to an injury. He probably will not be back for the tournament. Um, and as I try to get a bracket up, I believe you're correct. Stupid I, I, audio in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I don't expect um, him to, to be available. No, I don't. And they looked, I mean, they looked like they were going to struggle with the athleticism of LSU. I'd tell you what. If, and now this is a huge if, and I know it's the what-if game, but if Florida State, who for some reason or other this year cannot hold on to the ball, it's like they got butterfingers because they're, they <laughs> are good for 20 turnovers a game. Yeah. If they can cut that down to 12, 13, not a ton, they will beat Michigan. Florida State team Tim, is a team that a lot of people aren't talking about that would not shock me at all if the Seminoles won it all, they are that good. Um, you go back up to the West region and you would assume Gonzaga should be able to get by Creighton. Um, that USC Oregon, Oregon game, game yeah. is going to be phenomenal because Oregon is athletic. They can shoot the lights out of the ball. They can play defense. USC arguably is the most, most athletic team in the country. Um, the Gonzaga USC potential for a regional final has a lot of intrigue to me. Um, I still like Gonzaga. But they're the best overall team. Um, I think they have the second best coach in the field right now. Um, you know, uh, 
another team that a lot of people are overlooking. And, you know, and it's not anybody's fault, but it's just the way the games come on is you have USC, Oregon, and UCLA left. And I'm not sure how much of the country has watched them just because most of those games come on at 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. West, on the well, East Coast. You look at the West Coast and it's teams. It's really difficult. Well, that's that's one of the one of the problems Gonzaga's had over the years being a West Coast mm-hmm. team. And then you actually mentioned the two teams from LA and USC and UCLA. No, we don't get to see them play uh mm-hmm. you know on a regular basis. And then you know, you look at you know the two Oregon teams, Oregon and Oregon State. I mean, there's a lot of Western teams who have done well in that first rounds of the of the tourney and here they are at the sweet 16 and then you look you know in the southwest you got oral roberts the 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 the, the giant killer uh, of the first two rounds of, of the tournament boy uh, can know, they shoot the ball holy I, mackerel again not a surprise it, over the years you look at what oral roberts when they've had a, a team that made the the final or i should say the tournament has uh, mm-hmm. they usually do have a good shooting team and that is what you need from us from a mid-major. Uh, yep. You have to have a team that can either play outstanding defense on like a regular, on a continue, yeah, as a, a routinely thing year in and year out, and a, make their run and make their make themselves known. Uh, you go back twenty five years ago when Bug when when uh, Bob Huggins was the head coach at Cincinnati, that's what he was named for. He was known for his defensive teams and Cincinnati was, you know, on the rise as a mid-major making its way up into what they are today uh, as a size school that they are, you know, as a basketball school. So again, the, you know, there's different ways to handle this. I mean, that's one of the problems Youngstown state has had over the last 30 years is they haven't had the scoring very often where they can truly, you know, hang with a team and, and shoot a high percentage and get good quality looks at the basket. Uh, that's really one of the reasons why not to get off on a on tangent here, but why issues never made a run in their own tournaments over the years, the few times they've had, they've had some scoring. They just didn't have depth on a team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of the uh, things I think we're going to, you know, look in the future at YSU and see if they can become a better scoring team and a better depth team where they have seven, eight, nine guys on, on a rotation that you really believe in where the seventh, eighth and ninth guy actually contributes, not just give you minutes on the floor. And, you know, this is things we talked about before it's death is about quantity. It's not about quantity. It's about quality And, and it works in all sports and you can go seven deep and make a run in basketball, but you can't run into problems with fouls and, and turnovers and other scenarios that can really uh, take away your game from them. Because uh, you're going to run in a team that's going to be more physical than you. You're going to run a team that has more size than you. You're going to run in a team that may actually outshoot you. So you mm-hmm. have to make adjustments. And those coaching staffs that run those teams have to be able to recognize those scenarios and make adjustments in game and have plays coming out of a timeout, you know, that are huge. Every, with all the TV timeouts and timeouts in a game, set up plays 
from this point on are going to be a huge part of this tournament. A team that comes, that's why Jim Bayon always makes a big run this time of the year. Why? Because you watch his plays coming out of timeouts. They're very successful, both offensively and defensively, especially offensively. They, they usually score points. And uh-huh. that is such a huge advantage when you're talking about a tournament play. So I think when we look at it, you know, Gonzaga has been really good at that this last few years, coming out of timeouts, having the right play and running it. And I think you're going to see uh, where that's where the coaching becomes a big part of the NCAA tournament and how they succeed. And it'll be really, I think, going to be the secondary story that a lot of people overlook because let's face it, players play the game and players make the plays to win games or lose games for that matter. But the coaching staff puts these players in position to be successful in certain situations. And I don't care if it's late in the ball game or if it's 13 minutes left in the first half coming on on a timeout and you run the right play and you get two points or you run the right play and you get a three pointer or you run the right play and get a foul and go to the line. Those are huge, huge parts of a game. And you talk about all the timeouts that happened in college basketball today, taking advantage of those set plays, a big part of every game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing is, you know, usually, and when I pick my brackets in years past, um, I try to identify three things. A, what team has experience because experience in March is so valuable. Um, it can't be understated. B, what team is coached well? And I'm not saying all the bigger name schools because they always win. But you look at this year, and you're seeing a lot of these lower schools, these mid-major schools are phenomenally coached. I mean, some of them are better coaches than the high-major teams. And C, I usually look at what team has the best interior big men play. Yeah. And this year's tournament has thrown that all out the window because you are seeing a shift in how college basketball has changed. And it started with the NBA a couple of years ago following the European model, positionless basketball, to where your four and five guys are strictly are not strictly down on the perimeter. You take a look at UFC, the Mobley brothers, 6'9", 6'10". They can come out and hit a jumper. Oregon and Chris Duarte, he can hit the jumper. Florida State, yes, they got a seven-footer in a Copervica, but he can handle the ball. Michigan, probably the the best or the most traditional team with the big men down low and uh, Wagner and Dickinson, but those guys can play on the perimeter some too. But this year you're seeing if you don't have guards that can shoot, you're not going to win. And you look at every team remaining in this tournament. Um, and to, to me, and I know I sound like a broken record when I say this word and people probably get sick of it. You could probably play a drinking game for as many times as I say this word. But, Tim, look at these teams left in the Sweet 16, okay? Gonzaga, Michigan, UCLA, Baylor, Loyola Chicago, Syracuse. All those teams are not saying their teams don't, but all those teams, Villanova, have some of the best coach cultures in the game. And I think it's evident in the work that Jay Wright is doing. He lost his best guard 
going into the Big East tournament, and they looked lost. They got waxed by Georgetown. They weren't really competitive. And now you look up all of a sudden, and Jay Wright's won both games by double digits after he's supposed to be the trendy upset pick in the first round against Winthrop. And I wouldn't put anything past them beating Baylor. Uh, the, he's the best coach in college basketball right yes. now. And I don't think it's even close. No, he runs circles around these guys. But that's what I'm talking about coming out of timeouts and other plays that you can set up and do, and you can't have an, an effect on the game as a coach. There's no question the college game, uh, really truly showcases that ability of coaches uh the nba does too but you don't notice it as much uh the nba is so uh such a high level basketball that sometimes you don't give credit where credit is due to the coaching staff that sets up plays coming out of timeouts Mm -hmm. and and other uh scenarios where they call it on the floor because you don't necessarily see it and you know the players themselves can run the play and run the offense and make decisions, you know, like a LeBron James or mm-hmm. like a Stephen Curry and others, a Stephen Curry and others. You can do these things. Uh, it, those players at that level, they're kind of like a coach on the, on the court. And you'll find some of that at the high school and the collegiate level once in a great while. But, at, you know, especially at the collegiate level, you can find in a shooting your point guard is that guy that the coach trusts to run the offense, to make decisions, to make calls in game, because that is their quarterback. That is the guy who really, truly sets the offense and defense a tone. And that's why it's so important for, for that position to be successful. When you have a guy who is inconsistent in that position, your team usually is inconsistent. And mm-hmm. you have a team that lacks a true point guard, you usually have a tough season. And that just, it, it's absolutely true. Now, you're right. The bigger guys now shoot threes and shoot from the outside than ever before. But we've seen, we knew that was coming. Uh, the three-point line has changed basketball dramatically over the last 40 years. And we have now seen, you know, big men who are more fitness players that work outside and than inside. But those who can get inside and be a defensive uh, value to a team are huge and get rebounds and outlet the ball and, they may not be the, the big stars of the past of uh, the, the centers used to be, but they still play a, a valuable position, those four or five guys. And you don't see uh-huh. the traditional five that often pivot guy. But, yeah, if you have one, you can really take advantage of this game because no one plays inside properly at that often. And if you have guys who can combine for that type of play, kind of like Gonzaga does, then you all of a sudden have – you know, that hybrid type player, you can play inside, outside, and all of a sudden it changes everything. And mm-hmm. uh, that's where basketball has changed a lot. And I think a lot of it at the collegiate level has changed because of the one and done rule. Yes. Uh, the, the big players recognize uh, no size matters in the NBA. If you're 6'10", 6'11", uh, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to find an NBA home for the next mm-hmm. four or five years and make millions of dollars. And I'm not taking anything away from those players that choose that they should. Uh, but the development of the collegiate game has changed because of that, because players don't stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see players stay more than two years. Once in a while they do, but very, very, very seldom. You see yeah. Very seldom you see them stick around too, or unless it was an injury type scenario and they don't think they're draft 
is is going to be as high as a top 10 as that lottery pick as they need to be. Mm-hmm. So they'll stick around for another year, but very seldom. And most of these guys are in and out within six months of their collegiate careers. But uh, that's just the way the game has changed until I think the best thing to happen to college basketball is the NBA do away with its rule of one and done, meaning you yes. got to be a 19 to enter the league type scenario that, that you can enter at the, at the high school level because those who can't make it will fade away. And yes, I'm not, I'm not, and they're making that choice. And that's exactly what happened years ago. Those who can will, and the superstars like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and others will, will find a way and, and look at a, you know, others who went to college who decided to come out after the second year, you know, after the sophomore year, mm-hmm. like, or a freshman season, that's fine. You know, they're, you're going to get that too, but let a player explore his opportunities and then dive out of the, out of the NBA draft before it happens and go, go to the collegiate ranks. There's, there's, there's a solution here. And players are always going to leave for the NBA. There's just no way around it. It's just too much money. There's too much involved, too much pressure on them to cash it. And I get it. And I'm not here to say they're wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll tell the same thing to a, a high school baseball player. If you really truly believe that your opportunity is to sign right out of high school and go right into the uh, minor leagues for a team, and that's your best chance, then do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Do it. Uh, if you believe that going to a school for a year or two is your better option and trying to enter when you're 20 years old or 22 years old, I have no problem with that neither. You have to make that decision. And the NBA has a development league. So if you don't make it, you can try that. It's a minor league system. Some players graduate from that. Not high high number, but some do. So until the NBA changes its rules, until you know that you're always going to see college basketball make a reaction to it and let's face it one of the biggest recruit recruiting tools for any school is that i'm going to showcase you to the next level hmm. especially at the collegiate level let's be honest it, it's what it's why players go now at the yep. mid-major they want to play ball and they want they still have the dream of playing uh, professionally somewhere if it's not in the nba it's overseas. We're just good money in, in Europe or in China and other places mm-hmm. or Australia that all have leagues. So, you know, if you're a player who, let's say, is at Villanova or Creighton or Oral Roberts, well, mm-hmm. you're going to have a chance to play at the next level. That next level just not, might not be the NBA. Uh, and that's fine, too, because you can cash in. You're going to stay at those schools for, probably until you graduate. So you'll hopefully come out with a degree and an opportunity and continue your basketball career somewhere else other than the NBA. You never know. Maybe you come back. Maybe you were one of those players that's a late bloomer. It does happen. doesn't happen often. It does happen. Yeah, it's, you know, um, the worst thing, and there are two things that are really threatening uh, the college game right now, and we've seen one in the one and done world. That, that needs to be done away with. That it's, If you think you're good enough, to go straight from high school to the NBA, that's your choice. That's your decision. Um, and if you want to go to college, go to college. Uh, the other thing that's dicey is the transfer portal now with over now currently 800 players in it where they don't have to sit out a year anymore. 
uh, you're going to see a lot of movement here in the next couple of years. Um, and there's a lot of uh, skepticism about this new, um, you know, but you look at, you know, one thing we didn't touch on and who I think, you know, could be the next Butler Gonzaga type team to make a run from mid major now to a high major team, even though they're not in a high major conference, except for Butler's in uh, the big East. Uh, that loyal Chicago team is phenomenal. And I hate to burst any Indiana fans or Marquette fans bubbles, but it, if I'm Porter Moser, I'm not leaving because you don't have to win your conference tournament at Loyola anymore to uh, go to the go to the NCAA tournament. So that that huge pressure that all the mid-major coaches face of winning the conference tournament or not getting in that doesn't exist at Loyola because you can get in as an at-large. Yeah. Within the next five years, it would not shock me if Loyola Chicago is in the Big East. They are that good, and it would not shock me again. If during the final four this year, he, they are that talented, they're experienced and he's a hell of a coach. I think you're correct that you're always going to see a mid-major make a run uh, every few years, a lot quicker than we used to see it. Uh, I, I definitely believe that is part of the Cinderella story of the, of the tournament that you're going to see the Villanovas who, who won mm-hmm. a national title a couple of years ago, a smaller you know, conference type team, uh, like you said, Chicago making its run, making its you know name for itself, uh, just like Gonzaga did 15 mm-hmm. years ago, and it's you know actually 20, 25 years ago now when yeah. you think about it. But yeah, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all that we're going to see this. I mean, St. Mary's a few years back was yeah. one of those top teams that everyone mm-hmm. was talking about. There are a few of them and they can make runs and most of them are. And I say this, uh, I say this with disappointment because I'm a YSU fan, but most of these schools are basketball schools. They don't play any football. If they do play football, it is non-scholarship football and they play the highest level of non-scholarship football or partial scholarship football, Mm -hmm. but there's no money put into it. There's no, uh, there's no com- competition of what is mm. the engine for that school. Uh, that's what makes the Mac so unique. Yeah, the Mac is a good football conference. It really, truly is. It has some. It's a really, hell of a football conference, and it's a hell of a basketball conference, and it's a physical basketball conference, and they play good quality uh, sports in the Mac, and that is where YSU is not. Uh, what I mean by that is YSU is Mac light. It has an economic engine in football, but does it utilize it properly? Mm-hmm. Can it become the engine it is? And the reason I bring this up is I was uh, with a coworker today at another store and I went down and, and I had to get some parts from there and we were talking. He goes, YSU football's playing now? I says, yeah. I says, they just yeah. won their first game. I says, they, they're they playing an eight-game season. They've already played five. He looked at me like he was in shock. He had no idea yeah. that they were yep. playing. And this is part of the problem with the school at YSU that's kind of caught in between. 
you have a football program that has been designated and understandably because yep. of the where we're from and how how powerful football is as your economic engine but you have a basketball program who is there and competes at the highest level of your competition in the horizon league mm-hmm. can you afford to do both at ysu's level and the reason i say that is you look at the teams that they compete against not many of them have competitive football and basketball duquesne to a certain level and their partial yeah. scholarship on football. robert morris some years yeah and more basketball and their really. partial scholarship yeah uh, so I'm, you know, this is, and why issues not? Why issues a full scholarship for both basketball and, and football? So you need an economic engine that succeeds in both on both levels on basketball and football, and you have to promote your program. You've got to get out there and not just billboards, not just uh fly in the newspaper the, not yeah. just coaches show you have to be inventive you have i i'm going to say something radical here you have the internet i don't know if Wait, you know that we have social media you have youtube too well <laughs> let me say this well my point is let me say wait, 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 wait my point is mm-hmm. you can't be stuck in 1990 and in 2021 and it's going to get more and more difficult going forward to compete for every dollar that a sports fan has to spend because everything's going up. High school sports is going up. College sports mm-hmm. is going up. Professional sports is going up. Uh, everything is online and you have to, you know, buy a subscription if you want this channel or that channel or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But if you have Disney plus, then you all of a sudden get ESPN plus and, and Hulu and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. There's so many combinations out there right now that a school like Youngstown state, which is what I call kind of like the Mac light, meaning they don't have the budget. The Mac schools have, but they compete equally mm-hmm. for football and basketball, meaning for players, for fans yep. and for money. It is a tough situation they're in and they're going to have to find a way to break through to get to that next level for they have an economic engine from both. You have two engines and they're both firing uh, equally and have a chance to really be that, that part of that, the athletic department going forward. I don't know if it'll ever happen, Anthony. I really don't think it will. I don't think YSU has ever fired, uh, on on two cylinders at the same time and um, we'll see if it ever happens football and women's basketball for those couple years drafted when the women's basketball team went to but the NCAA women's season. basketball team as as successful as they have been in the past is not the economic engine of YSU no you're they, right and they are they definitely can supply revenue for the for the athletic department but the real revenue, and, and I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be sexist here, is the football program and the men's basketball program. The third one is the women's basketball program, and it has outshoot the men's basketball program in the last 20 years, many times. Oh, hands down. You know, maybe the last 30 years, hands down. And, and I'm not taking anything away what they have achieved and what they are. They are very important to this value, and they're very important to the to the university. But for this university to 
ever become what it wants on the athletic field? And it really has to rethink everything it's doing. Let me ask you this. And it was a conversation I had with somebody a couple weeks ago at work when they made the point, you know, it was, you know, is that Friday water cooler talk to him? You're getting ready to leave work. It's like, oh, you got any plans for the weekend? Yeah, I'm going to the football game. What football game? The Division One college football team that's in your backyard is playing football, and they do host a top five team this week. Um, but and, and it was along the lines of if you stood outside of, say, the Williamson College of Business uh, to Bartlow Hall at YSU right after class let out one o'clock, you know, whatever time of day you choose, middle of the day, and you asked every 10 people, who does Youngstown State play this week in football? How many know the answer? Two, three? I was going to say about 25%. And that's embarrassing. That's yeah. embarrassing when, when you're right, Tim, we do in the 21st century, most of our stuff or our heads, especially these college kids, are buried in the phone here, you know? And they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. And I'll say this. And maybe I'm being biased, but I think we have a pretty damn good sports information crew, and I'll include Rob Schmidt in that group. Rob Schmidt, Trevor Parks, Jamie Hall, and John Vogel do a hell of a job promoting the athletic teams and promoting the games and trying their best through social media, through you know all this other stuff to get people to the games. Um, and you're right. It's time to move beyond the old 1990s uh, marketing strategy of, well, let's put football plays versus North Dakota on the big Y scrolling boards they got across campus. Let's be honest, Tim, who looks at those nowadays? Uh, I mean, and you and I made a comment a couple of years ago driving through Niles. There was a basketball board up there and an I thought it was for a high school team, Tim. There was no logos. There was no nothing. There's, and it, eh. Yeah, well, I can't. I've never talked to anybody at YSU in many years. Uh, I definitely believe that they're behind the times on promotion and how to use the tools that are around us uh, today. There's so many things, and you can get students involved in, in the communication department and in this athletic department and even the athletes themselves. Uh, they Today, I hate saying this this way, but in a social media world that we live in, it's all about self-promotion. Mm-hmm. We self-promote our podcast on Twitter yep. and on Facebook, on Instagram. I mean, we don't go crazy and, you know, and buy ads anywhere, but that's how it's word of mouth and it's, it's us hopefully reaching somebody new for the first time. And if you are welcome mm-hmm. to our podcast, glad to have you on. Give us a five-star ratings on all that good stuff you hear from all the other podcasts. Uh, no, I'm just uh, having fun there. But my point is you have to wonder if those who are making decisions recognizes that what was true and good 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, is not necessarily the the right instruments to use today. The game hasn't changed. It's still football, it's still basketball, uh-huh. it's still baseball, it's still whatever game they're playing. It's still soccer. But you have to find a way to break through. 
the clutter. And there's a lot of clutter out there. And you have to find a way to motivate somebody to buy a jersey, to buy a jacket, to buy a ticket. Uh, you have to make it friendly and appealing to everybody. And that's a difficult thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and say that's easy. It's not. Uh, you're going to upset a few people along the way. You're going to disappoint a few people along the way. Hopefully, you'll actually reach and excite more people than in the opposite way, no matter what you're doing in life. And that's the way I see it right now. Like I said, YSU is the is in a difficult scenario. They really, truly are. They're the smallest Division One school in the state of Ohio, and they don't compete on the even playing field with everyone else in the MAC. And then you have... Ohio State that dominates, and you have Cincinnati that's growing. Yep. So now, what do you do? Where do you go from here? How do you reach? And worst case scenario for Youngstown State, they're in the part of the state that is declining in population each and every decade. So you have to reach, you have to reach your audience, and it's shrinking on you. I mean, it's a difficult, it's, oh, there's it's, no, there's no easy answer here. You can say one, two, three, four, and we can complain about this, about everything that they're doing. And I still will go back to my original statement that sometimes, in my opinion, they're stuck in 1990 versus coming into 2021. I think they're, they're inching their way sometimes in those right directions, but maybe it's time to take a leap a leap of faith in themselves and a leap of faith in an, in a marketing strategy that reaches fans. Is it difficult? It certainly is. There's so much entertainment value out there today. There's a lot. They, you're right, Tim. They're in a really difficult position because like you mentioned, they are the smallest division one program in the state of Ohio that whether it be football or basketball is a hotbed for sports. You have, Football, like you mentioned, Ohio State has been a top five team in the country for the last 20 years or so. You have Cleveland State in basketball, who's getting really good. You have Cincinnati, like you mentioned, who's getting their three ten win seasons in a row. So where do you go? Because let's be honest, Tim, the days of Youngstown State being are over. You know, the days of where I think I can say Youngstown State is your number one team. It's obviously mine. Everybody knows that. I wear red and white every freaking day, basically. Um, but you're right, because you have so many options for the, for viewership. It's You have to compete against Ohio State in football and Cincinnati in football. And Let's be honest, Tim. Who wants to go watch? And this is no disrespect to Youngstown State or their opponent, but Youngstown State play a team that, outside of maybe a couple hundred people, they've heard of, or would you rather stay at home and watch a top two team, top three team in Ohio State play Minnesota or play Penn State or you know, in in October when YSU has a home game. Cincinnati plays Notre Dame the same day. You know, it's like, where do you draw these people in at? Because, look, like you mentioned to your your guy you talked to, YSU's playing football this weekend. 
they host a top five team, but how many people have heard of North Dakota? You know, they've heard of North Dakota State because of ESPN the one or two times a year. But honestly, who knows South Dakota State's really good? Who knows North Dakota's really good? Except that, for the people that listen to our podcast or people that go to the games. I mean, you really, you really don't know. Yeah, that's the challenge. I mean, that is the difficult challenge that YSU's in. When you look at the geographics of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, it is primarily towards the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And you're towards the Ohio River. Okay. <laughs> There's a big difference. And and there is no close rival to mm-hmm. at least to to get excited about in football. Now basketball's a little different story. You have Cleveland State. Strike, you know, it's it's yep. it's an hour and a half away from you. They've been you've been playing them for 20 years almost that you've been in the horizon league now. So there's no excuse not to have big games about playing mm-hmm. Cleveland State. That should be your rival. You have to win those games. That's the hardest yeah, part. Exactly. Now, why is you has won a few over the years, but you have to, you know, really battle them. Yeah, and you have to get, you know, I hate saying that. I don't want to be, I'm not a marketing guy. I don't want to be a marketing guy. And I'm going to say something that probably is the worst thing you can do, but pack the house. It's a difficult thing to do, but pack the house for that game. And then the hardest part is to get the W and get people excited. And, and that's the same thing with the football team. I mean, this year's a little different because of the pandemic. It's totally different scenario. You're playing in the spring. You're limited to 3,600 people in a 20,000 seat stadium. Uh, you, you got off to a God awful start. You probably had the worst first impression from a head coach ever in the history of YSU football, you have, you know, it's, you're climbing a mountain football wise. Now, each week we see an improvement. And, and the thing is, like I said, one of the hardest things to do is develop a program and promote a program at the same time. So the coaching staff had made its decision this year in football of, of truly using the spring as an opportunity to cement what they want to do and how, what type of football they want to play and what they are good or bad. Two or three of those games, they basically played as scrimmages. And that's disappointing because if you're a fan of a a team, you don't want to see a team go into a game knowing that they're defeated before the first kickoff. That's, that's frustrating. And it's not the player's fault. That was the coaching's decision. And it may that's long-term decision. They're willing to take that chance. And I get that. And it's very well may pay off come this fall. And I'm hoping it does. I truly do. And there's no recipe better for promotion than winning. We've seen that over the years. As a team gets good and wins home games and makes it an event to be there, uh, Sandball Stadium can be filled. Same thing with with the Bigley Center, it can be filled if you, but the hardest part is making it an attraction to people and building that relationship by winning ball games that matter. Uh, not coming up short. I mean, the basketball program, God bless them. For the last 35 years, when they've had a big game at Bigley Center, most of them they've been else. They've yeah. been a few wins, but when they've had crowds of 4,500 or better, They've lost the majority of them, unfortunately. 
They played their hearts out. They gave everything they got, but they came up short. There's been a few victories along the way, too. I don't want to take that away from that program over the years. But that's the key. The, just like the Cleveland Indians. The Indians want to pack, you know, the Jake in the future, then how are they going to do it? They're going to win ball games and they're going to win games that are exciting and they're going to win and people will come. And that goes with everything. But also if you're trying to build something, you got to mark, you got to get outside your comfort zone and do something different. And yeah, it's, it's gutsy as hell to do. And I got to, you know, I, it's easy for me to complain or to say, because I'm not involved and I don't have, the budget and I'm, and I don't have to make those decisions of what's a good ad and what's a bad ad or how to do it, but to do the same thing over and over and get the same results, you know, we know what that means. And Boy. that's, that's where we're at. And, you know, this became kind of a YSU pod by accident, but that's not un- unusual for us. Well, you talked about, you know, the job they have now to market for any college program the size of Youngstown State because I'm sure it's very difficult for Cleveland State now granted they had a tournament run so it's going to get easier but coming into the last couple of years they were bottom feeders they weren't very good they don't have a football program to go on they don't have a baseball program anymore um, you know it's really tough Tim like you mentioned when except for a couple of blips in the radar you haven't been very good um you get hot stretches and then, you know, falters off, but you don't have that one or two main rivals in football that you can count on twice a year, once a year. You're not going to have gonna that. Pack that place. You're not going to have it. You're in a conference that the closest road game is Illinois state eight and a half hours away. And I've made that drive. It's, a long drive. You're not going to have it's it in football. It's drive. not possible. You're in the wrong. So, co- you're, there's not exactly. a conference. There's not a conference really that for YSU football to be in, other than what they're in, and still mm-hmm. be in the horizon. Like that's the problem you have. Yep, you would have to right. leave both for that. And the only place you really that geographically fits is the MAC, but you don't have the money for the MAC. So yeah. when you look at it. It's it, like I said, you're the smallest school in division one football to smallest, smallest school in division one basketball uh, that plays both sports at full level at the highest level. So yeah, you're up against it. There's no question about it. You're up against it. And I don't want to continue to keep going in circles, Anthony, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of change the subject here mm-hmm. and, and talk a little baseball. Cause um, the Indians, their last season as the Cleveland Indians start a week today on this Thursday uh, night that you're where you and I are talking. They will be in Detroit next Thursday, opening season. Seven days away. We are la- we are now technically because at this time next week uh, we're going to be one and zero. We are less than a week away from opening day, and the games count for to our Pirates friends. The season ends here in seven days spring training ends um but uh yeah we are seven days away tim and and unlike the last couple years there's a lot of questions still to be answered by uh tito uh, carl willis chris antonetti mike Chernoff. who's your first baseman who's your fourth and fifth starter who's your closer who's your setup man 
even though we might have had that answer today in Brian Shaw, I think we'll probably get a lot of work. He can be trusted. They trust him. They've seen what he can do. Um, what's your lineup going to look like? You, you know, and who, and right now, who's going to play center field? Because honestly, I don't know about you, but I don't want to send Ahmed Rosario into center field against Detroit America where it's 430 to center and the weird angles in right field where we've seen outfielders have trouble. Even the best outfielders have trouble out there. Uh, if you answer your simple questions, I expect Bradley to win the first base job. I, th- I think Bowers, I think Bowers, Bowers will be let go. I think Bowers will be let go and, and exposed to waivers. I just do. Uh, unless they find a reason to put Bowers in the outfield as, as the fifth receipt, oh a fa- fifth outfielder, which I just don't think it's going to happen. All right. Mm-hmm. So I think Bradley's going to win the job at first base. Obviously, we know Jimenez is at short, uh, and the infield is set. Uh, the outfield at center field is going to be a platoon. I really, truly believe it's going to be Zimmer and Rosario, and they're going to just take it one game at a time with each and try to match mm-hmm. up, like you just mentioned, where they're playing, who they're mm-hmm. playing, and we'll see exactly how it works out. And I, you know, there's a chance that he could DH once in a while too. I'm talking about Rosario because mm-hmm. they like his bat. I mean, it has potentially could, could be a hit of 300, mm-hmm. 300 hitter and, and drive in runs. And that's why they move him out to the alpha. They, they like his bat. They, it's not going to be an easy transition. No, you know, he'll play some left field. Uh, I'm sure uh, to give days off, but you got loophole too. And loophole will might, you might see a, a three-headed monster in center field, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Uh, Lupul being a right-handed hitter, getting that opportunity to play. Zimmer being probably the primary guy in center. And the other two kind of working back and forth, trying to find out what they can do. And Lupul can play all three positions, so you'll do that with them. I mean, I That's how I really think it's going to turn out. It's going to be difficult. Now, as for the starting rotation, I think we, we know who they are. It's just a matter of, you know, what order you're going to put in. And Beaver's starting, and that's all that matters. Uh, At the top of your order as your number one. Tristan um, will probably be your number five. I'm pretty confident about that. And, you know, your top three with Plesak. And and, uh, it's just, it's going to be there, you know, of Savali, I, I just I don't see how it's not going to be there. Uh, so now, the for, starter then. Well, you only need four to start the season because of all the days offs. You'll figure that out. There'll be time. You'll figure that out through the bullpen and, and others. Uh, well, I think it's Quantrill. I really do. I think Quantrill is really the number five. I think you know uh, Tristan will be a number four. Savali mm-hmm. will be three. Playsack two and. And Beaver one. I think that's your starting five. I really, truly do. I don't think it's going to change. I think Quantrill will probably start in the bullpen because he's done it before. Mm -hmm. And then when uh, a fifth starter is necessary, they'll transition him to be the fifth starter. I think that's how it's going to work. Because they get like three off days in the first eight days. Mm -hmm. So they get one on. You got two in the first week. Right. Because they protect the home date the home opener date, which is, you know, in a pandemic, was that really necessary? I don't know. Maybe it was optimistic, um, but that's what they chose to do. 
that's baseball. Baseball does never, uh, you know, baseball has its own its own mind and rhythm and, and style, and I'll you'll never understand it. So when it comes to schedule making, I mean, the schedule makers, I mean, the craziest thing, Anthony, is we play the White Sox eight times in the first 30 days. Yes. Yeah, we get uh... – you play them 19 wanna... times all season, and you play them eight times in the month of April. Well, it's like it was a couple years ago. Remember when we played like the Tigers like yeah. 12 times in April and May that we didn't see them again until September? Right. Um, you look at that April schedule, and you're going to see a lot of the Central Division. Well, you you the always White do Sox because times, the you Royals. always do. You always do. All teams go through this because of the unbalanced schedule. And that is one of the problems you have. Plus, you have interleague baseball with an unbound schedule. So it's very, very much about playing your division. That's just like you look at what the Dodgers are going to face. There's a reason why people are predicting 105 plus wins for the Dodgers. And and second place, everyone said, oh, it's probably going to be uh, San Diego. And they might win 94 games. Mm-hmm. They could be 10 games behind them in the standings. Because of that division, but they're going to play the Giants 18 times. And, you know, it's just the Rockies, yeah. the Rockies. Exactly. And these teams are going to beat up on them. And that's just what you expect. You know, there's 36 games between those two. Uh, I won't be surprised if the Dodgers win 30 of them. And that's just, you yeah. know, that's kind of what the Indians went through a few years back when they were at the top of the Central Division. Now the Central Division is tightened up a lot. Uh, everyone expects Chicago to be that top team. So these top, Although, these first eight games are going to be huge for the Indians. If they go four and four against the, the White Sox, they're going to be right in this division for a long time. If they go one and seven, it's going to be a long year for the Indians because that's a long way to come back within division pro, uh, losses. Although the White Sox uh, do lose star hitter and uh, outfielder. He's not great in the outfield yet, uh, but uh, Jimenez is out four to five months. Yeah, so I read be, that, now, yeah. Now they do have uh, a lot of depth, but that's that's a pretty big bat. That's, uh, that's still, in my opinion, you're still talking about yeah, them and the Twins. Pitching. Them and the Twins is the top two teams in, in the division coming into the season. Not saying the Indians can't compete. I think they can and they should uh, be at more of a surprise. I think I, I'll be honest. This Indians team with its pitching and still with unproving lineup, but I think a change lineup from last year which is a good thing, by the way. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say, if I had to put a number on the Indians, and I hate doing this, but just for the fun of it, let's do it. I I think the Indians could win a minimum of 86 games, and I won't be surprised if it's close to 90. Yeah, I think your ceiling, probably 90, 72, 91, and 71. Um, And like you mentioned, a drastically changed lineup and, and compared to last year, that's not a bad thing, you know. I think you're going to be more versatile this year. I think you're going to be quicker. Uh, you can get guys on and probably steal a little more bases. Um, I think for the first time, that it, 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 even last year, the biggest complaint early in the season was there was no depth. You had one, two, and three, but after that, four through nine were guaranteed outs. Now one, two, three, four, five, and maybe even six is pretty formidable. Well, here's the thing. We've just, they're unproven players. They're going to get an opportunity like Bradley, but Bradley can hit the ball a long way. And 
if he's ready to play and gets a true opportunity to play, and that's what I hope for. Uh, we've too. seen Bowers have that opportunity a couple of years ago, and he really just kind of floundered. I I do believe he has some talent. I just don't know if he's the right fit for the Cleveland Indians in 2021. Uh, center field will be interesting to see how that develops and who who comes out as an everyday player, if there is one. Mm-hmm. But Rosario in the outfield shouldn't make a big help your bat. Here's 2025 home runs, hopefully, you know, 80 to hundred RBI type player. Uh, obviously you have Ramirez at third base. Who's, you know, a top three MVP vote every year. Uh, this you get Hernandez at second base. Who's a veteran who's who played real well last year. So you're hopeful and he's had a good spring. So yes, he has. There, it's going to be different this year. It's, it's going to be, I hate to say this. It's going to remind me about, 2013 2014 indians when when tito first arrived there's a lot of questions on this ball club and they're going to move forward they had a lot of veterans that came in that year that kind of filled in the gaps and some of them worked some of them didn't but there was a lot of uh teamwork that went on and team building Mm -hmm. and they they succeeded beyond expectations that year and made the playoffs so i think we can see something similar i won't be surprised the bullpen itself, the bullpen is going to be entirely by committee. I think yep. we're going to go with the hot hand and different positions and different scenarios. Uh, we don't know how good Class A will or will not be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Check is, is a guy we just have to wait and see which player comes to the mound. Is it the guy who has control or is it the guy who doesn't? Uh, you know, you're going to have actually a calming influence and and brian shaw that rubber arm who you know i believe is going to be a a huge influence on this bullpen about preparing and how to handle the situations and how to come to the ballpark each and every day i think he's going to be a huge advantage to have uh hopefully you know we see him settle in and become a, a really good player i don't expect him to be in 60 ball games like he has been in the past but I think he can definitely a guy who can throw back-to-back games and Mm -hmm. they can use them. And under the new rules where you have to face three batters, he's going to be very valuable. And then you got Perez who's going to be important. I, again, I think it's all going to depend on situations and this, we're going to see the value as great as a job as Alomar did last year, filling in for Francona. This is where Francona is at his best, where uh-huh. he has players to build up and to bring the most out of them and to watch them grow. And you can see the excitement when he talks uh, each and every day. And by the way, I don't know if you've listened to it this year, but I've listened to uh, the majority of the podcast that uh, the Rosie report that the Indians have put out. I have not listened. No. Oh, uh, I tell you what, it's been nothing outrageous, but you get mm-hmm. to hear from the players in a quick interview, but more importantly, you get to hear from Tito each and every day talking about, you know, where the team is and what they're doing and how they're performing and what players are up and down and injuries and, and, and so forth. Uh, really, really done. Well, short podcast, sometimes 15 mm-hmm. minutes, sometimes 25 minutes. It all depends. Uh, all the past episodes from spring training are there. Uh, if you're an Indians fan, I, I, I don't know if they did it throughout the entire season, but I hope they do. I think it would be a really interesting concept to let Rosenhaus, uh, you know, have that outlet to uh, maybe even take uh, 
questions on Twitter or something from fans mm -hmm. and interact with uh, the entire Cleveland Indians organization. It has to be just once a week. It doesn't have to be every day like it is right now uh, or like five days a week like it mm -hmm. is right now. But my point is, I think, again, here's marketing and, and the Indians do it well. And I, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to that because it, it's done really phenomenal and I, I really enjoy it. And uh, sometimes I, I don't listen to it every day. I'll pick, uh, I'll download two or three from that week and, and listen to them all in, in a 45, 50 minute you know, time period. But that's, that's what makes it interesting because you get to hear from the different players and uh, some of them made the team. Some of them didn't make the team, but you get to, mm -hmm. you know, find out, you know, what made them select the Cleveland Indians as a uh, spring training invitee type scenario. So we'll see where it takes us. Uh, I will say this, it's it's going to be fun just to have baseball back. And oh, you hopefully, hopefully good things will it'll be a fun summer. I mean, hopefully a great spring and a fun summer. And uh, it'll be nice to have that daily routine back that we have not had in sports. Uh, the NFL gave us gave us that that weekly routine. The NBA has done a pretty good job. The NHL has done a pretty good job since coming back. Um, baseball is the is the utmost hard sport, to, hardest sport to do because it's every day and there's traveling involved. So it will be interesting to see if they, uh, they can pull off the season under these circumstances. And uh, let's face it, fans in the ballpark will make a huge difference again, even if it's at 25% or 30% or whatever it may be going forward. Uh, hopefully not hundred percent like they're going to do in Texas and get everybody infected. But uh, what do you expect from Texas? Not much. Uh, but in the end, Let's uh, let's let's just be excited that baseball's back. The Indians are, uh, you know, the final year of the Cleveland Indians. So we'll see what what transpires and how they handle that going forward too. So, uh, well, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm somewhat excited, you know, in a sense. I'm just thrilled that baseball's back, and I believe it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. Well, Tim, you mentioned that's you know the great thing about baseball and. To some people, it drives them absolutely nuts. To purists like you and I, the every day you wake up, you have a new game, uh, the 162, uh, that's exciting and thrilling. And like you mentioned, this year for the first time in nearly almost two years, you're going to have fans in the stands at a limited capacity of 30%. Um, and I myself have tickets to April 9th, so the countdown is on for me uh, for my first time being back in the stadium since – uh, October of 2019. So uh, I'm ready. I got four games, three games in April, and uh, I'm chomping at the get, at the bit to get back at the corner because uh, it's been far too long. And uh, hopefully, Tim, seven days from now, we're talking about a opening day win, seven innings for Beaver, maybe six was opening day, um, a couple home run pitches by Jose and. Uh, a dominant performance by the bullpen and uh, we're on our way to what is a pretty big team. You know, Tim, you mentioned the, the April schedule, your first six games are against the two teams who are rebuilding, even though Kansas City's farther along than Detroit. Um, you got to come out of the gate strong, you, you know, four and two, five and one. That's big. You, you got to do it. Kansas City's farther along than people recognize. Gonna, I will say that they're going to they be win 80 games this year would not shock me. No, will not shock me at all. Neither. I think they're farther along than people recognize. Um, we'll see exactly 
what transpires. It's only uh, March 25th, but we are one week away from baseball, which will be Thank a lot God. of fun. Yeah, Thank I can't God. wait. It, I be, can't wait either. It, it's, it's good to say that baseball is back. And uh, Saturday we have football. Yes. We're not that far away. Last home game for the Penguins. So we'll wish them the best going forward. Obviously, the NBA is heading to their crescendo, getting towards the playoffs. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. And like I said, there's a lot going on. We got the Sweet 16 this weekend. Um, it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of. There's a lot of viewing available to any sports fan out there, and uh, it'll be great to have uh, Tom Hamilton on the radio again and listening to baseball games and just doing things around the yard, you know, yeah. in springtime. And it feels good not to have a jacket on today and, and to be outside. And we're going to have uh, a lot, a lot to look forward here in the next few months. I do want to say, uh, send out my best and congratulations to the Newcastle red hurricane who uh, their season came to an end uh, last week uh, in the, the PIA first round again, all right. In the quarterfinals, I guess you want to call it against a Erie Cathedral Prep, who has now made it to Hershey. Uh, boy, it was a uh, a tough season ending for the for the for the Red Hurricanes. They uh, the Canes played really well though all season one. Finished twenty one and three, won the WPIL. Uh, they got a gold medal in the process. So um, there's you know district champions. That's something to be proud of. And uh, it is a, a special moment going forward for them and a heartbreaking ending to the season in the quarterfinals, once again, in the PIA championships. Uh, tells you how hard it is to win a state title, no matter who you are, where you're at. Uh, and there are others who have uh, competed locally and in Lawrence County, and I wish them the best going forward. And I, you know what? That's sports. You don't, it, it takes a lot of uh, good fortunes to win the whole thing. And sometimes uh, you come up just a bucket short or, uh, you know, unfortunately time runs out on the last, last uh, second shot. What they, uh, the red hurricanes went down on, they were down by two, went down to court, got a shot off and uh, rebound was put back in. But when he caught the ball, that was when exactly. the buzzer was going off and it went in. Unfortunately, like I said, uh, needed another second in the season to continue it on. It just didn't happen, but that is, uh, uh, it, was, it was a tough ending. It was a, a very, very physical game, which uh, very um, a game where the officials uh, let them play very physically the entire game. There was no, there were seven charges called and no blocking fouls called in the game. That's combined. So it was just that type of game. It was a real yeah. physical game with Erie because they real prep. They came out the winners and this Saturday they're playing for a championship. So uh, congratulations to them. And I wish them uh, the best. And I look forward to next year, uh, four years down covering the red hurricanes for my finest years of broadcasting, because I've just enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, Lawrence County does not get the publicity here that it deserves uh, you always talk about the five county area of the mahoning valley meaning mahoning trumbull columbiana uh mercer and lawrence lawrence county gets lost i don't know why no one locally covers them anymore uh but newcastle's a hell of a, a hell of a program a hell of a good uh 
athletic program that's a stone's throw from Poland, really, and no one knows about. And I am so fortunate to have the uh, the gig that I have, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But I just want to give my best to uh, Ralph Blundo, the coaching staff, and the players who uh, once again gave me a great thrill of uh, calling their games. And I look forward to the 2022 season. Yeah, and uh, hopefully uh, with this pandemic behind us, it can get back to a more sense of normalcy and uh, we'll probably be another successful season. That's, that, that's one hell of a program that doesn't get the recognition over here that it deserves because they're probably, if not the best team, one of the two or three best teams in our viewing area. There's no question. Like I said, uh, my whole life I've been taught that the Mahoning Valley viewing area on television was mm-hmm. uh, Mahoning, Trumbull, Columbiana, Mercer, and Lawrence Counties. And Lawrence Counties gets lost anymore. No, no, no local TV station goes over there. Mm-hmm. None of them do. I don't get it. Uh, for years they used to. Now they just they consider it the stepsister. I don't get it. Um, yeah, I know. People in Lawrence County do a lot of viewing in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh actually reaches them. And uh, locally, they look that way. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. Let's just just call it. It was what it is. Uh, they get lost yeah. in the shuffle. I'm very fortunate to have them in my life. And I'm very proud to uh, say I support uh, Lawrence County uh, sports. And I look forward to uh, future endeavors over in Lawrence County, even though I'm an Ohio guy. It's been a lot of fun the last four years and forever broadcasting has uh, taken me uh, up North and the Northwest into Meville and Franklin and Titusville uh, and now down to uh, Newcastle. And it has been a, an amazing run. I've been doing that. I was just figuring it out, Anthony. It's been, I think 13 or 14 years I've been broadcasting there. It's, 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 it's shocking. I think uh, at least 12 years. How's that? Um, that's one hell of a run. You know what? I don't even keep track. People ask me all the time, and I just don't keep track of that stuff. I never have. But uh, yeah, I think it goes back to 2010. So uh, that's 12. That's seasons. one hell of a run. Yeah, between everything they've given, you know, I've been very blessed, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have that that opportunities. So uh, yeah, we're gonna have to reach out to some of my friends over there. Obviously, James Dotson, and then up in uh, Erie to Ray Reinstorf, who I got a chance to see this past weekend, and talked to him a couple times on the phone, which was a lot of uh, good deals. So, uh, I know I'm kind of going on on a tangent here, but I don't know what else to talk about, Anthony. We got a little Indians talk in at the end. Uh, talked a lot about the Penguins that we didn't expect, but uh, we got a little Sweet Sixteen talk in too. So, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Let me tell you this again. I was joking before, but if you do listen to this podcast, tell your family, friends, and enemies. I like to say that as a joke, but tell them all about it. Uh, If you have a rating system, if you get it through uh, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Uh, It does actually matter. It does help promote the the podcast, and we do appreciate each and every one of you who download it. And we're getting a, a lot on the uh, Ice Castle Report, and we're getting a lot on our our traditional podcast. So uh, I haven't got the, the exact numbers, but I've been going on and we've had over 100, 150 downloads and listens in uh, in a week's time uh, for, the, uh, for the Ice Castle Report and the podcast. Sometimes we're over 250. So I think each and every one of you, if you guys could do that for us, we would really appreciate it. Anthony, your final thoughts. 
Yeah, just excited. Uh, one last home game Saturday, and uh, that uh, transition to into baseball starting in uh, one week of opening day. It's an action-packed weekend with football, the tournament, and uh, baseball starting within the week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, for Anthony and Canfield, I am Tim here in Portman wishing you all the best of evenings and days ahead of you. One week to Major League Baseball season begins. Let's go Tribe. Let's go Penguins on Saturday afternoon. And we'll see you all next week right here on Radio MVP. Peace.